Uh, good morning. You have picked a great day to be here. As we have studied today's topic and scriptures and as well as learning from other mentors. And, you know, one of those mentors just specifically made today's topic so clear that we wanted to, as accurately as possible, pass on what we learned to you. You know, I was baptized twice. Well, okay. In reality, just once. The first time, actually, I just got wet. <laughs> but we'll unpack that as we go along today. Now, you might be asking, what's the confusion about baptism? You know, Harley, Cole, what's going on with that? Well, the reality is baptism can be confusing, right? It's just the way it is. It's confusing. It's a word that we only hear in the church environment. You've never heard anyone say, yeah, you know, I, th I think I'm going to go to the lake this weekend and, and have a quick baptism. <laughs> you just don't hear that. And the truth is, baptism, well, it can also be an emotional subject. Because our views on baptism are often shaped by the church in which we were raised, you know. If, if you were not raised in church, then it's just really a weird word, kind of a churchy word to you. But baptism is important. It's very important. Because when you read the New Testament, anytime someone puts their faith in Christ, they were then baptized. And if that weren't enough reason, after Jesus dies and he walks out of the tomb alive, just before he heads up into heaven, he stops and he says, hey, listen, guys, before I go, don't forget, Jesus now says this. He says, make sure you do this, baptize. In fact, it wasn't just a suggestion. Jesus actually commanded it. Here's where it's written, recorded for us. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations. And here's the thing, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Baptism was so important that the last words we have actually recorded from Jesus are him commanding us to be baptized and to go baptize people who decide to become his followers. Now, because it's so important to Jesus, that probably leads to a lot of questions. Well, well, that's why we're doing this teaching today. Because you might have questions like, well, what's the big deal about baptism? Or why has baptism so readily been attached to babies? Why baptize babies when they have no understanding of anything, much less Jesus? Especially in light of the fact that there are no, none, zero examples of baptizing a baby in Scripture. Okay, I can feel the tension could be mounting right now. So with those questions in mind, I want to assure every single person that what we're discussing this morning is, is taught with great love and kindness because this can be an emotional topic. And I want you to know that if you were baptized as an infant, I am not attacking your background. Or maybe you baptized your child. You had them baptized as an infant. Again, you can relax because this is being presented with grace and kindness and most of all with love. This morning, we're just trying to answer some very basic questions about what Scripture tells us about this weird churchy thing called baptism. So many questions and confusion exist because... Baptism over the last 2,000 years of church history, the church has added a whole lot to this thing called baptism. And let's face it, 
some of us, well, maybe even many of us or most of us just look at what we were taught by the church and, well, we take that as the gospel truth, right? Now, this may not be true for you, but for some of my friends who were raised in churches where they baptized babies, those friends were never really encouraged to read their own Bibles. I mean, they had one. Hey, this is America, right? We've all got one. But they never were encouraged to study it. I mean, they had high respect for it, and they saw it as a moral standard, and they loved and followed Jesus, but they would admit, I never really have read the Bible. So consequently, they were just going to do what the church told them to do. And they assumed that, well, that was being done, taught, because the Bible said to do it. And as a result of that, some stuff just, well, it can get a little confusing. But I don't want anyone to miss this next statement, because this is so, 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 so important. At Stuttgart Harvest Church and the church in Malvern, we teach that Scripture is the authority. Not me, not the church, not a pastor or a leader, not even the pope. We teach that, the, that Scripture is the authority because we believe God has preserved it throughout history for us. Because each of those writings represent his views, uh, his ideas, and his plans. Some entire denominations and religions believe that actually the church is the ultimate authority. And what the church says about a topic has as much weight or truth as what Scripture says. And sometimes, in some places, even more weight. And that makes for a really big, big difference depending on your background or experience. So with that in mind, as we look at what baptism means, what it is, and who should be baptized, we're going to look at what Scripture says about it, not the church, and certainly not what I think. This is one of those places where you're going to discover there are major differences between those who believe Scripture is the ultimate authority and those who believe the church is. So please hear me. That doesn't mean that that group doesn't believe the Bible, nor does it mean that they don't respect it. It just means that there are individuals who grew up in that group who never really, for themselves, read much of their Bibles. Because if the church is the ultimate authority, they're taught to mainly listen to the church and do what the church tells them to do. So we're going to tell you what it is and what's in the Bible about baptism. And this is an amazing story. But first, let me give you some background. At the end of BC and at the start of the first century AD, you know, non-Jews might ask, they might come up to a Jew and say, hey, is there any way for me to become a Jew? I mean, I like what you believe, and I think I want to follow your God. And the answer was like, yeah, sure, sure you can. And here was kind of the, the, the predominant ways that someone could become a Jew if they were not a Jew. The first thing, the first step, very important, it involved a surgery. If you were a man, at least, you had to be circumcised. Now, the meaning of circumcision, no, you're, you already know all that, so I don't have to go, but it was a surgery, which probably means that most of the converts in the first century were women, of course. So you had to have a surgery. You also had to submit to the law of Moses. You had to observe some ceremonial meals and covenants. 
sacrifice at the temple as a Gentile. And there was also this thing that was a ceremonial washing in a body of water. And, you know, that word that was used to describe that fifth thing, that ceremonial washing in a body of water, it was an everyday word in the first century. It was baptizdo. Now, and it meant to wash, dip under, submerge. See, this was not a religious word. It was a daily use word, baptizdo. It would describe what happened when a ship would sink. Baptizdo, describe the process used to dye cloth. You would take a cloth and baptizdo it under, dip it under the water to dye it as you put it into the dye. It was not a religious word at all. It was a common average word with no special religious meaning at all. And to become a Jew, they were saying, you're going to have to be dipped under water. You're going to have to have this ceremonial washing. And it was representing you being cleansed of your non-Jewishness and putting on your Jewishness. Here's an example of the word being used in the New Testament as an ordinary word. Here's, here's a picture of that. It was a, a, a moment with Jesus and recorded for us by Luke. It says, as Jesus was speaking, one of the Pharisees invited him home for a meal. So he went in and uh, he took his place at the table. His host was amazed to see that he, that's Jesus, sat down to eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony required by Jewish law. Now, right here, when the word baptizdo was used, it was accurately translated washing. Do you know why they translated it right there as wash? Well, because that's what it means. <laughs> that, that's exactly what it means. But unfortunately, in all the other places in the English New Testament, instead of using the meaning of the word, which is wash, or uh, you know, translating it as wash, they did something called transliteration. And that means they just took the Greek word, baptizdo, and they created a new English word out of that, and that word was baptize. So instead of translating the meaning of the word, they just added a new word to the English language. And that has caused all kinds of confusion for us. Because we think there's something mystical about this word. Because it suddenly now has only, in English, religious meaning. In our language, that's what it is. But in the Greek, it was a common everyday use word, and it described washing, dunking, submerging, to dip under. But transliteration, you know, it works, and transliteration is needed when there's not an English word to describe the Greek word. In that case, if there's not a word, you have to create a new word. But when you create a new word, instead of using the actual meaning of the word when there is one, you are going to create confusion. And hence, that's why we're teaching this today. Now, let's go back to the first century world. Let's say that you're there and you head off to the Jordan River because there's this guy that has become a huge influencer. And I mean, that's where everyone is hanging out because he's there. And at this moment, 
there's no one in Jewish history that has a larger group of people that's listening to them, that's following them. And so he's got his, he's really hitting it hard on the not so Instagram or the slow gram. You might even call it the speed of donkey gram. I mean, he has the largest following in the region. And don't even get me started. Listen, his face scroll, huge, huge. And this influencer has one basic tweet. Repent. Turn the direction of your life around. And there, at that point in history, we see the first recorded instance of what we're talking about today. Because if you were there, you would have seen this guy named John walk out into the Jordan River. Then you would have seen people lining up and John would physically somehow dunk them, submerge them, wash them in some kind of ceremonial way. And because of all of that, this guy gets the nickname of John the Washing Man, John the Dunker, John the Dipper, John the Baptizer, John the Sinker. And now those looking on, they think, wait a minute, this is kind of similar to what the non-Jews do in order to become Jewish. But that dunking and that process, that washing was done individually. It was done alone by themselves. And John the Dunker, he got his nickname because he was the first person in recorded history to ceremonial, ceremonially wash someone else. Now, they were familiar with people ceremonially washing themselves, but not doing that for another person. And that's why he got the nickname John the Washerman, John the Dunker, John the Dipper, John the Baptizer. So now, on this specific day that you happen to be there, you look out and you see John the Washer, and he points at another man who had just walked up. And here's what he says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the guy he pointed to steps out into the river and he walks to John and they hear this guy, Jesus say, John, wash me. And John's like, I can't because John knew who he was, man. John knew he's like, no, 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 no. Jesus, you wash me. And Jesus was like, no, wash me. And John finally, he's like, okay. And so John washes him, dunks him. And, and when he comes up out of the water, they all hear this. This is amazing. Thousands of people hear this, this voice from heaven. And it says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And at that point, Jesus leaves and John keeps on washing and dunking and dipping others. And now we have John and his disciples telling people that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, and they're dunking people. And added to that, we have a bunch of Jesus followers now, and they start washing people too. And people start realizing there is some spiritual significance here. Because if you become a follower of Jesus, you get dipped under the water. You get ceremonially washed, meaning that's, that's what happens after you begin following Jesus. Now, meanwhile, back at the Jordan, John gets arrested. 
And two of John's followers, they leave Jerusalem and they move to a whole nother part of the world and they set up camp there and they start telling people there, hey, get ready for God's Messiah and repent. And then he, they would be baptizing people. And while this is going on, Jesus, who is the Messiah, he goes to the cross, just like he predicted. He walks out of the tomb three days later, just as he predicted. And then these two guys, though, are still all the way over in Europe. And they're saying, hey, he's coming, he's coming. God's going to send the Messiah. But Jesus had already come. He had gone, and they had no idea. It seems they must have left their, their phone or their tablet back at the Jordan River. They missed this tweet. So a few years go by, and this man named Paul shows up, and he's the guy who ends up writing most of the documents that make up the New Testament. And he had become a follower of Jesus. He got washed, and one day Paul is traveling in Europe. And he hears these two guys teaching, and they're saying, God's going to send the Messiah. Get ready, get ready. And Paul looks at them. He, he, he says, hey, come over here. He takes them to the side, and he asks, where did you hear this? And the guy said, well, we heard it from John the Dunker, and John got arrested, so we took over, and we're spreading the word. And, and we were washed by John. John dipped us. And Paul says, dudes, 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 listen, it has happened. The Messiah you're talking about has come. He taught, he died, and he rose again. Paul said then in Acts 19, Paul said, John's baptism or John's washing, dunking, submerging, John's baptism called for repentance from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. And in verse 5, it says, as soon as they heard this, they were baptized, they were washed, dunked submerged in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's the first instance we see of someone being re-washed, re-dunked. In this case, it was by Paul in the name of Jesus. And that's what the New Testament teaches about baptism. From that point on, everyone who became a follower of Jesus was washed. They were dipped, dunked, submerged. However you want to translate that everyday Greek word, baptizo. It happened after they began following Jesus. Now, what do we learn from all that? The implications are this. It's actually very simple to understand baptism from this perspective. Baptism is a public notification of a new affiliation. It's a public statement of a new direction, a public visual of a new loyalty, a public declaration uh, 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 or connection. Uh, uh, it's a, you're declaring publicly to everyone around you, hey, I have a new connection, a new association. Baptism is a public announcement of this new attachment that you have, a brand new moment revealing a new identity. So let's look at this and what it means, this new affiliation. So we began and we said this new affiliation. You could see people moving from being Gentile, non-Jew, to a Jew. And they would have to be washed and in a sense saying that I'm washing away this, this old identity and revealing this new identity. I'm a non-Jew now identifying with Jews. I have a new attachment, a new association. 
This is now my way. I'm taking on this way of life. Their rules, their laws. I am now one of them. And then we saw that there, a, a new identity, a new association, a new attachment. We saw that as John the Dunker, John the Washer, he was giving people the opportunity to go public with the fact that they were believing what he was saying. And they're saying, I'm going to now affiliate my life with the message that you're teaching, John. I'm saying this is true. I'm going to identify with that. that that's why Jesus refused uh, to wash John. Because Jesus went into the water and allowed John to baptize Jesus. Jesus was saying this. This guy is telling the truth. And I'm allowing myself to be associated with him and what he's teaching. What he's teaching is true. I'm identifying with him. I'm going public and declaring that what he is saying is true. And then we see a new identity as it, as it moves towards what we call a Christian baptism. Jesus' disciples, they begin washing and baptizing people. And those people were saying, listen, yes, we believe what these disciples and what Jesus is teaching. And we are publicly saying, I have a new connection, a new affiliation. We are affiliating ourselves with this truth that these disciples and Jesus are teaching, and we're not ashamed to do it. We're affiliating with them publicly. From that time on, baptism, this washing, was a decision to go public and to publicly affiliate with the name and the teaching of Jesus. And when Jesus left the earth, that public washing, that baptizo, as commanded by Jesus himself, was the way that people publicly announced, hey, I am following the way of Jesus. I am identifying with him. I, I'm, I, I'm associating my life with what he taught and with him. There was significance of, of water Originally, it was kind of washing off the old identity and becoming alive and identifying with this new way of life. Baptisto in the first century was not always a religious thing. It's so important to understand that that word in the Greek, it was just an everyday word. And it's a word that Jesus chose to become a central part of publicly following him. Now, through the years, churches and denominations, man, they have loaded that word up with a world of different meanings and traditions, like they added baptizing infants, and, and like saying that baptism is a part of salvation rather than baptism is announcing salvation. But the best way for us to understand what the New Testament teaches about baptism is for us to understand what happened during that time, during that culture. And that's what we just looked at. Pure and simple. The practice and the meaning of baptism, that was it. Now, there's some implications to what we just learned. And we see these implications. They're lived out in the writings of Scripture. Here's the first implication. Baptism, this dipping, dunking, washing, it is for individuals who have personally made a decision to connect their lives to Jesus. Now that implication leads us to a couple of questions. Here's the first one. Well, if that's true, then who should be baptized? 
And here's the answer. Anyone who's old enough to make the decision to say, I understand what Jesus did for me, and I want to make this, the decision to attach my life to him. I'm not embarrassed to let people know that I'm a follower of Jesus. And that's why at Stuttgart Harvest Church and the church in Malvern, that's why we don't baptize babies. That's why when a child asks to be baptized, we talk with their parents and we talk with the child to make sure that, they, that they're ready and they really understand what's going on. That's why many times after that conversation, we tell parents, listen, I know you are compelled to get them baptized, but they don't yet know and they don't really understand. So there's no inherent special reason to wash your child, to baptize your child. We wait until it is going to be a time where it is clearly marking a time that they can look back on and they can say that signifies the time, that baptism, that washing, that dipping, submerging, signifies the time that I made a decision to go all in with Jesus and to become his follower. Now, listen, that doesn't mean that your infant baptism, if you were baptized as an infant, was not meaningful to your parents. I'm sure it was. Here, we dedicate babies. We do that all the time. But in terms of infant baptism, there really is no such thing in Scripture. We don't find it. And I know some churches teach it. But if we look at the New Testament context for baptism, it is impossible for a baby to make a personal decision to identify with or to associate with Jesus. There's not really any such thing as infant baptism in the Bible. And here's a tragedy. Infant baptism gives a false sense of security to parents and to children. I mean, they now think, well, you know, I've been baptized. I've been christened, sprinkled. I am in, and it's all fine with me. I'm in. I don't have to worry about following Jesus. I was covered when I was a baby. I was born a Christian. And all we can say to that is, you don't have to believe me. Just read your New Testament. It's not there. It's not even hinted at. You say, well, why did they tell me that? That's a good question. You can go ask them, but I assure you, the answer will not come from a clear teaching of Scripture. I have some friends who have said, now listen, Harley, there are some verses that say that, that this man became a Christian and he went home and he shared it with his family and his whole family believed and his whole family was baptized. But listen, to say that infants were involved in that, to say that we know that to be the case, that's not being honest because we, it doesn't say that. God would not leave something so critical as our eternity. He wouldn't leave that up to us guessing or to a, I think this might be the right thing to do. You have to stop and ask, how old were those people in this household? I mean, when you look at baptism in the New Testament, it was a decision made by individuals and they were personally ready to publicly affiliate their lives with Jesus. That is who baptism is for. And that is what we see modeled all the way through the New Testament. Here's the second question. 
Is baptism what gets a person saved? Is it what gets a person into heaven? And again, there are churches that teach that, but the Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, the Bible teaches the opposite. So the answer, is that what gets a person into heaven? The answer is no. We know salvation is not dependent upon baptism because Jesus chose to be baptized and it wasn't for the forgiveness of sins. It was so that he could associate with the truth of what John was saying, that he was the Messiah. We know that it's not dependent. Salvation is not dependent upon baptism because when we see Jesus dying on the cross, there's a criminal beside him, this bad guy, really bad guy. And he recognizes who Jesus is. And there on the cross, he surrenders himself to Jesus on the cross. And Jesus looks at him and he says, I'm going to heaven in just a little bit. And you're going to be there with me. And it's not like he was like, well, but Jesus, I can't be baptized. And Jesus didn't say, oh, yikes. Yep. You're right. Oh man. Too bad. You almost made it. I, you know, listen, I'm just going to have to go with Jesus on this one. Where Jesus is going, he said, you're going to be there too. And this guy had no opportunity to walk an aisle, to sign a connection card, to recommit, to rededicate, to start over, no chance to get baptized. And still, according to Jesus, he was in. You don't go to heaven because you got better or you tried harder or you did a certain list of things. You were in because you trust Jesus alone to take you with him. That is the essence of the Christian message. It's free. It's not dependent upon us earning it or deserving it. I know some churches, they do teach some other things. And there are some verses that if you read them in isolation, if you take them out of scripture and read them by themselves without the context of what the Bible teaches about baptism, if you take them out of the Bible, you could develop a belief on that one verse or those handful of verses alone detached from the rest of scripture. And then they would teach something else about baptism. But here's the truth. We can't separate passages. They all go together. And together they teach the whole truth. So you can't separate them and build a belief system upon that one single verse alone. If you take a few passages out and you let them stand alone apart from the rest of the Bible, it could appear that that's what the Bible's teaching. You see, when those verses were written... They were written by first century people who were eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses. They were familiar with what Jesus told that man on the cross. And they were writing to people who knew the history of this word washing, this dunking. And they knew the history of how this was used in the context of a non-Jew becoming a Jew. Their audience was familiar that, that about this concept, that it was taking on a new identity. And so there was no reason for the writers of the New Testament to say something like this. Now, 
You don't have to be baptized to be saved. They didn't have to say that because it was known. None of the people they were writing to ever thought it was a part of salvation. They all knew it was a public announcement of a new affiliation. We say, well, why didn't the writers just make it clear? Well, they, they didn't write it because it was already clear. No one who understood the ceremonial washing of baptizo would make a connection to salvation. No one would make that confusion because they understood their culture. Whereas baptism for us, man, it's foreign. For them, it was an everyday use word. For us, it's only a religious word. And therefore, we give it extra, extra, extra religious meanings. No one in the first century associated baptizo, this washing, with salvation. It was a public declaration of a new identity. They were letting people know of a new association, a new connection they had with Jesus. This dunking, it was extremely important, but it had nothing to do with eternity. It was important, but it had nothing to do with babies who can't choose to follow Jesus. So what does all of this mean? Here it is. It means if you have not been washed in this ceremonial kind of way since you've decided to genuinely follow Jesus, you need to be washed. Baptisto, baptized, dunked, dipped, drowned, <laughs> whatever you think that word means. Over time, this word, word which it started out as baptisto, wash which later came to be known as baptism. This thing is not a competition between churches. It's a step of obedience because Jesus said, go make disciples and then dunk them. Baptism is public. It's after one believes. You may have been christened. You may have been baptized as an infant or a child. But if you're following Jesus now, and you, you had not made a decision to follow Jesus, to submit your life to him, but you are now, then you need to be baptized as Jesus requested for you to publicly declare your connection with Jesus. The issue is not where you were baptized. Not even really how you were baptized. I mean, we can make a great case for dunking based upon the meaning of the word. But I don't believe that's the critical issue. The issue is this. Have you been baptized since you really started following Jesus? And if someone is too embarrassed to go public the way Jesus commanded us to go public, you have to ask, are they ready to really attach their lives to Jesus? Baptism is so cool. You get to publicly identify with believers all over the world from all time. Some who have risked their very lives to publicly associate their life with Jesus through baptism. 
you get to identify with them and say, listen, me too. I've committed my life to Jesus. He is my boss and he's my ruler and my king. This is not something that gets in your way like a list of rules and do's and don'ts. No, no, no. This is an opportunity to, as Jesus asked us to do, to let others publicly know that we're associating with him. It's an opportunity to be obedient and excitedly do what Jesus asked us to do. And there's one simple question. All you have to do is let us know right now on your connection card or tell us face-to-face. Or if you're listening to this at a later time, email us, text us, let us know. Say, I am ready. It is time for me to do what Jesus commanded. It's time for me to go through with this dunking, this dipping, this submerging, this washing to publicly declare that I have connected my life to Jesus. And I want to let people know, I want to let them know that my life is associated with his. Now, let us know. And with that, join me as we pray. God, we are so grateful We're grateful for what you did for us on the cross. You publicly went to the cross and you died for us a horrible, painful death. And three days later, you walked out of the tomb. Publicly, you revealed yourself alive again. And Jesus, you ask us For reasons ultimately that only you know, but you ask us to go and make disciples and after someone's a disciple, to baptize them so that they can publicly declare through this dunking, this dipping, this ceremonial washing, they can publicly declare, I am now associating my life with Jesus. My life was associated with me and what I wanted and my way. But now I'm letting you know and letting the world know that my life is affiliated with Jesus, with his way, with his truth. Jesus, I pray, I pray that there will be people who respond to this teaching and say, I am ready to associate my life with Jesus. Because Jesus, it's, it's an honest question. If we're too embarrassed to affiliate our lives with you publicly in the way that you ask us to, commanded us to, then are, if we're too embarrassed, are we really following you? Jesus, I pray that there will be folks who say, I am ready to do what Jesus said not so that I can have salvation, but so that I can declare to the world, he really is my king. I'm doing what he asked. I'm publicly declaring my life is now associated with, affiliated with, connected with Jesus. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.